0: Well, welcome to a Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, kind of a modified Super Tuesday today, as we take a look at uh, some of the election aftermath. We're a week uh, after the election being done, and uh, of course, they're still counting votes. It's just, it's crazy uh, what's going on right now. I think we were thinking it would still, uh, we'd have some winners and some losers, But we uh, still have a lot of races that are up in the air. By the way, special programming note, if you like the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, and we know that thousands of people do, which we're very excited about, um, because of the holiday and some other commitments that are coming up, we had to record or we got to record uh, this week's National Crawford Roundtable podcast today instead of waiting till tomorrow. So if you get the subscription, I know a lot of our listeners email and say, you know, they'll send us something on Wednesday morning saying, hey, I heard the podcast already at Apple Podcast or Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, wherever. Uh, Bob and John and I recorded this morning. Neil is in Toronto today uh, handling some business. Actually, it's the first time he's been able to see some of the supporters of his program, sponsors and things like that. Uh, you know, Neil Boron hosts Neil Boron Live at WDCX in Buffalo, New York, and uh, they have a lo- big audience in Toronto, which is the fifth largest city in North America, and um, he uh, is there visiting Christian bookstores and things like that. So he's got with us this week. He'll be with us next week. But we talked about the cryptocurrency thing with FTX and, you know, the campaign contributions and and to be fair. Democrats benefited the most from the FTX cryptocurrency uh, guy, Sam Bankman, whatever his name is, uh, SBW and FTX. Um, he, though, it's interesting because there were some Republicans who benefited as well. Um, what's name? Katie Britz or whatever in Alabama, the first female to, to be elected to the uh, the Senate from Alabama, first uh, conservative female. And uh, she got $100,000 from these people and the uh, the Senate Leadership Fund, uh, which is for the uh, conservative, it's a, the Republican Senate Leadership Group, got $2.85 million from a donor at FTX. And the Congressional Leadership Fund, uh, which is Kevin McCarthy et al., uh, they got uh, $2.5 million. So I mean, th- there there are not a lot of unclean, there are not a lot of clean hands around with regard to this. But we had a very spirited conversation about the election process, what it takes for conservatives to get elected, why the GOP is in such disarray right now. There's a lot of infighting and squabbling. And, and, and why do the Democrats continue to keep running the table? And there are some things that I will share um, here today uh, with regard to why this is happening. And also, but I want to do an election rundown here first, because what's fascinating about today's Super Tuesday is today is technically the last day If you wonder why there are so many races, uh, this is a Fox News report from earlier today. There are still 13 congressional races that have yet to be determined, and the majority of them are in California. Now, you would think that here in the People's Republic of California, because we have such a heavy slant toward the Democratic Party, there's a Democratic governor, of course, there's a Democratic uh, uh, majority in the Assembly, there's a Democratic majority in the State Senate, that... It, Democrats are just around the table. the The vast majority of the congressional members uh, going to Capitol Hill are Democrats, and so why is it from California? So why are th- there are still thirteen races that have yet to be called nationwide, and the majority of them are in California? It's very interesting. As it stands right now, uh, the GOP has won two hundred seventeen seats. The Democrats have won two hundred five. Thirteen races still to be determined. That to get you a total of 435, you go right down the middle since there's an odd number of congressional seats. 435 means that 218 gives you a majority, so the Republicans only have to win one seat, and they're going to win at least one of these. So there will be a Republican majority in the House of Representatives, just like there is a, a Democrat majority in the state in the in, in the United States Senate. Now, what's interesting is there are a couple of races that could be um, that could be recounted. Uh, the governor's race in Arizona is begging for a recount. Um, Katie Hobbs defeated or has been announced as the winner over Carrie Lake. And Katie Hobbs is currently the secretary of state of the state of Arizona. And she has the responsibility as secretary of state of being responsible for the vote counting. And she did not recuse herself from the vote counting job, even though she's running for the highest office in the state. And wouldn't you know it, By about the same margin that Joe Biden allegedly beat Donald Trump in 2020 in the state of Arizona, that's how many votes are the difference between uh, Katie Hobbs winning and Carrie Lake winning. So uh, look for a recount in Arizona. Uh, Look for a recount in Nevada, the Senate race, uh, Laxalt uh, versus Cortez. That is definitely one that could easily go to a recount because Laxalt had such a slim lead for the longest time. And then the craziest thing happened. The cameras that were there getting video of all the vote counters, they were doing the hand counting all the way through. It went out for like eight hours. It went out of Nevada. And lo and behold, once the cameras came back on again, the Democrats were ahead. And this is one of the things I brought up in the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Um, which you'll be hearing this Thursday at its regular time on Terrestrial Radio. But if you want to hear it before that, uh, you go to myhelpnow.com. You can go to uh, um, any of the places where we podcast that. Um, One of the things that I brought up was, look, Democrats typically vote early. Uh, To quote Richard Daley, the former mayor of Chicago, they vote early and they vote often. But with mail-in voting, it, it favors Democrats. People vote, early voting favors Democrats. Democrats like to vote early. Oftentimes they vote ahead of knowing what's really going on. Case in point, uh, Pennsylvania state Senate race. I saw Jenna Ellis tweeted out last week. Hey, I gotta love Pennsylvania. They elected a dead guy to their state Senate. Well, they did. Um, and they did because so many Democrats in, Pennsylvania voted early that this poor gentleman passed away a couple weeks before the actual election date. But there were so many votes that had already been cast for him before he died. They obviously didn't vote for a guy who had passed away. They voted for a guy who, once the votes were counted, then passed away. But it makes a great headline, doesn't it? Pennsylvania votes for a guy who had a stroke. Pennsylvania votes. And it's just not always true. Just like the same Janela's tweet about, uh, you know, Republican leadership's been compromised by the crypto FTX thing, so we need new leadership. And it's like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> compromised in the sense that FTX donated $720 million and and 5 million of it showed up in the Congressional and Senate leadership funds for conservatives, but the other 70 million of it went to Democratic candidates. I mean, I, I realize any money is not that way, but quite frankly, I, I would think that People like her would know better than to say, hey, look, your boss, the guy who pays you right now, Donald Trump, used to play both sides of the aisle, too. So, I mean, that's that's a I mean, that's that's a fair concern. But I wanted before we get into the guts of the program here, I want to take a look at a couple races that are very interesting, especially for us here in the People's Republic of California. So our Colorado voters, I've got one for you as well. California's uh, congressional district uh, number three, that's Kevin Kiley's, uh, uh, the one he's running for. Kevin Kiley, California state assemblyman who's running for Congress against Democrat Kermit Jones. He does have a commanding lead. That's the good news. The not so good news for him, only half of the ballots have been counted. California has early voting that goes basically all of October. Today is the last day that the ballots can be counted. uh, The mail-in ballots can arrive by the 15th, but they have to be postmarked by the 8th. Then there's a signature verification process. But this is to the point about Democrats and early voting and then late. Anytime you see a wash of Democrat votes coming in late, that means ballot harvesting and it means potentially some kind of hanky-panky. So Kevin Kiley does have, have a big lead right now, but so did Mimi Walters in 2018, and all of a sudden Katie Porter won. Uh, Ami Barra is leading Republican challenger Tamika Hamilton in California District No. 6, and that looks like it's going to go Democrat. Uh, California incumbent Democrat Josh Harder holds a lead over Republican challenger Tom Patty. Uh This is a seat that is not a sure thing for Democrats, but it definitely is st- slated as lean Democrat. Um... Toss-up race in California District 13. Uh, Republican John Duarte has a thin lead over Democrat Adam Graves, about 800 votes. Central Valley race should see the Republicans prevail, but nonetheless, California District 21 is apparently going uh, to uh, Democrat uh, Representative Jim Costa, who leads Michael Mayer, but the lead is 7,000 votes, and they're still counting votes, so they haven't called it yet. Uh, Republican David Velado. Oviedo excuse me. Is leading Rudy Salas by 3,000 votes in California District 22. Uh, Fox News still calls that a toss-up. Uh, California 27, Mike Garcia leads Democrat challenger Christy Smith. That's by a 13 vote, a 13,000 vote margin. And uh, that is leaning to the Republican side of the equation. I mentioned California District 47. A lot of our Orange County listeners impacted by this one. Katie Porter, former law professor at UC Irvine, leading challenger Scott Bob by less than 3,000 votes. And that's one that all of the pollsters ironically thought that she would win in a walk. And now it's being called a toss up. California uh, District 49, Democrat Mike Levin or Levine, is leading Brian Marriott by about 13,000 votes, but that's still considered a toss-up. And then in uh, Colorado, two races yet to be called. Uh, Lauren Boebert in District 3 uh, was not expected to have a close race against Adam Fritsch. This was termed a likely Republican thing. As it stands right now, her lead is just a hair over 1,000 votes. And because of out-of-state, military members and whatever, they can still arrive even till tomorrow. As long as they're postmarked by Election Day, that count could go on till later in the week. And then Yadira Caraveo, narrowly leading Republican candidate, Barbara Kirkmeyer uh, in Col- Colorado District Number 8. Um, same thing as District 3 with the mail-in ballots, whatever. This had been a lean Republican race, but it looks like the Democrats may have the upper hand. Now, what does this mean? It does mean that if any one of those races goes Republican, the Republicans have the majority in the House of Representatives. I counted four or five other races there where it looked like Republicans were going to win. So they will have a majority. There will be a new Speaker of the House. Nancy Pelosi can be retired from that. And this gives Democrats two years to change leadership and get a new minority leader. And now the Republicans will sit here and bicker and squabble with each other because the Trump people don't like Kevin McCarthy. And, And I... You know, if the GOP can pull their head out of the sand and stop arguing with each other in public and form a unified front, the Democrats don't agree on every little measure, but they put a unified front forward. And right now, with so many people leaning toward tolerance and acceptance and how do I feel versus how do I think, that represents more than half of the electorate right now especially in the Gen Z and millennial categories, this is something the GOP has to take advantage of. They cannot take a look at this and say, MAGA, 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 Trump, 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 or uh, McConnell, McConnell, or McCarthy, or whatever. It's not about that organization that GOP has to reform if it's going to survive, and we'll see what they do. They'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com so you can track along at home with us. As we continue, the economy was supposed to be the big issue. Last week on Super Tuesday, it was supposed to be a referendum against Joe Biden and his inflation policies, which the American Inflation Reduction Act that was signed earlier this year, even the Congressional Budget Office says, look, it's not going to reduce inflation. It will go down by about 0.1% this year. It'll go up by 0.1% next year. It's a net neutral. So what does that do for inflation? What does that do for... Right now, we're, we're being charmed with the idea that inflation last year was 8.3% at this time. Now it's only 7.7%. What is it doing to home prices? What is it doing to home values? What is it doing to your personal savings? If you are a senior age 62 or older and you own your home and have equity in your home, a reverse mortgage may be the best thing for you to do right now not only to help fund your life as you're living right now, but to offer a living legacy to your kids and grandkids as well. Cliff Pelliquin of Newport Bay Mortgage is going to join me on the other side of this break to talk about this living legacy that can also be a lasting legacy. And by the way, if you want to contact Cliff, go to kbrightradio.com forward slash reverse. Cliff Peliquin joining me next as the bottom line continues. Call Dennis Wilson and his team today wilson financial services honoring god and their clients by stewarding their money well 800-696-9970
1: just reviewed a client who put money into 3d alternative versus leaving it in a bank the results are in and they're fun Savon report bank zero god's kingdom two churches in africa I often wonder why God's people don't do a better job with stewarding God's money. And I personally think one of them is that they've never been told how or why they should be doing it. Maybe they never heard it's God's money and we're only to be the good stewards of it. But just for fun, this turned out bank zero, God's kingdom, two churches in Africa. This isn't your money. This is God's money. And we want to show you how to be the best possible steward you can be. Wilson
0: Financial Services, 800-696-9970 or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Joined today for a special conversation by Cliff Pelliquin, Newport Bay Mortgage, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. 714-741-8080 is where you find him on the telephone or we've got a link up at thebottomlineshow.com. Cliff Pelequin, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show.
2: Thank you, Roger. And it's such a great joy to be able to speak with you again in the studio. And and thank you for your ministry. That's a blessing to all of us.
0: Let's Well, let's fire away. I mean, because there are more possibilities when you talk about reverses and reverse mortgages than a lot of people realize. Help us understand uh, kind of what some of those options.
2: are. Very good. Well, first of all, before we go into that, please keep in mind that New Port Mortgage also serves veterans with the VA home loan, small hmm. business loans, such as known as FBA loans, home purchase, and more. But when it comes to reverse the big question is why? Why reverse now rather than later? Now I mentioned this before values of home are no longer going up. Values of home are going down which means the lower it gets the less your possibility of what you're looking for in dollars and cents. Mm. And Mm -hmm. another advantage is there is no payment once you have that regardless. Another great thing about this, we're wondering, well, what about this high rate? Uh, yes, rates are high. If we get a reverse mortgage, uh, well, first of all, in spite of today's high rates, that the one-year treasury, or when the one-year treasury drops, so will your rate drop and you take advantage of the, quote-unquote, no payments. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, one of the uh, misunderstanding uh, regarding reverse mortgage is if I get a reverse mortgage, is the bank, the bank may take my home. Well, I have Mm -hmm. no idea where this statement come from, believe me. A mortgage choice has been around since uh, the Reagan administration, and and it made uh, uh, part of the lending institution as a whole. Mm -hmm. That's 40 years plus. That is correct. And not one person has ever lost their home through the taking of the bank by having a reverse mortgage. What makes a person lose their home if they move out, if they don't pay their taxes within so many months? So the ifs are the same as any other home ownership there is throughout.
0: Cliff Peloquan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about reverse possibilities, and I encourage you to give Cliff a call to learn more at 714-741-8080 or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash reverse. Please continue, Cliff, because this is a fascinating education about reverse mortgages, what they do and what they don't do.
2: Well, we talk about possibilities. First of all, uh, let's look at what the possibilities would be. As we said, the topic is reverse possibilities. Now, Many say, I just don't need it now. In fact, I had made a call uh, about 30 minutes ago to one that I've been talking to about about reverse mortgage for about three years now. They called us. And his comment was exactly what I have here. I am comfortable. I am set, which is well and good. Reverse mortgage is not the answer for us us all by no means. My adult, uh, another comment is, my adult children says, no, you will lose too much equity. Well, that's Mm. true. Uh, But I often ask, so are they making the payments, uh, your house payments now? If yes, (laughs) then thank God for giving your children love and wisdom taught by you showing love all the way to the end. If not, think about it. Another example: I want a reverse mortgage, but I don't want it under pressure. However, Roger, the pressure is present. Home values are not going up, which means, as I said before, less dollars for the homeowners. So with all oh. being said, reverse mortgage is not for everyone, but it makes must make sense the individual.
0: And one of the best ways to figure out if it does make sense for you is to contact my friend Cliff Pellequin at Newport Bay Mortgage today 714-741-8080 714-741-8080 or just go online to capebrightradio.com forward slash reverse and you can get the process rolling there. You know Cliff that was a really interesting uh, point you brought up especially about the adult children and whether or not they're making the payments because I remember growing up in a home where my Grandmother lived in a small home, and my dad made the payment for her every month. It wasn't a terribly big burden on the family, and it was a nice thing to do. But also, there are times when the kids will say, hey, mom, dad, don't do that. You know, that's our inheritance you're talking about. But if they're not making the payments, when you get right down to it, it really is the decision of the homeowner who's actually engaged in this. And I don't want to pull out, you know, try to have you forecast the future, Cliff, but it looks like this slide with regard to home prices it's going to continue for the foreseeable future. It's not like this is a blip in the radar that's going to turn around in another month or two.
2: It's a great reminder of 2008.
0: Yes, yes. That was a well, brutal with time. All,
2: and with all being said, reverse mortgage is not for everyone. And it must make sense for the individual. Let's go on from there. And how many times have we said, all of us, if I had the resources to give to so-and-so charity i would but what happens the big if is there yep. but what if now let's go back to the reverse possibility and we can have so many possibilities here that will overcome the what if also about the need of a grandchild for better education and what about the christian schools May we make this our number one priority in our mature years as a way to be a missionary in our own neighborhood now where we live. The pastors and the congregation we're looking at the, the, uh, the um, uh, COVID-19 that was blinding us. But because of that, God is in control and he still is concerned about our every move, our every thought our every action and our hopes and our dreams about our children and the future. That is what's great. So, it's amazing. Well,
0: it's amazing uh, to see what the reverse possibilities are cliff Pelican. I mean, to see what they, you could take a reverse mortgage with cliff Pelican, Newport Bay mortgage, take the proceeds, use it for something as noble as the orange County Christian learning centers, get a private education going, not only for your grandkids, but also for other kids in the area as well. Make that happen. And you can do so using the proceeds of your home. But as Cliff had mentioned today here on the Bottom Line Show, it's important to do so now. Take advantage of the home values while they are still where they are, knowing that home values are not going to stay at this point. They're on the way down. This is one of those ebbs and flows in the market. And you have a golden opportunity to take advantage of that. Call Cliff Pelliquin today, Newport Bay Mortgage, 714. 714- Seven four one eight zero eighty, and find out how you can get the ball rolling on one of the many reverse mortgage options that he has to create some of these reverse possibilities, as Cliff has been talking about. Seven one four seven four one eight zero eighty, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash reverse, and uh, you could get the ball rolling is that way as well. Cliff, this is fascinating. I love the educational part of what you're bringing to this dialogue and to encourage us to be thinking not just in terms of the money, but the resources that are available that are pretty much locked up inside of our homes, if we don't take advantage of them now, we could be losing a golden opportunity for And I'm grateful you have brought this to our attention today here on the Bottom Line Show.
2: Well, it's been great to chat with you. It's been great to talk about the reverse mortgage, the possibilities, and the many, many possibilities if we only take that step forward yes. start walking through that Red Sea.
0: Great conversation, as always, with Cliff Cliff Pelequin today here on The Bottom Line. Don't forget, Newport Bay Mortgage, 714-741-8080, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash reverse. Some final thoughts in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues.
3: Don't overpay on interest and fees by going with the wrong lender. Newport Bay Mortgage won't charge you points on your reverse mortgage wherever it is possible for them to do so. You will have peace of mind with the possibility of having additional cash to draw from to pay for unexpected expenses. Owner Cliff and his team do what they can to maximize the amount of cash available to you while minimizing the cost of closing. The result of having another stream of income relieves stress that you didn't even know was there. You'll save thousands by working with Newport Bay Mortgage because they avoid charging you points. And they will never tack on unnecessary fees. When considering ways to relieve financial stress in, before, or for retirement, you need Newport Bay Mortgage. Visit kbrightradio.com reverse contact cliff today call 714-741-8080 714-741-8080 nmls three three two five five nine. newport bay mortgage is an equal opportunity housing lender
0: welcome back to the bottom line show i'm roger marsh thanks again to cliff peliquin newport bay mortgage 714-741-8080 or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Reverse, and we'll get the information that you need to uh, look into seeing about a, a reverse mortgage or a reverse home equity line, or maybe even purchasing a new home with a reverse mortgage so you don't have to pay uh, that full tilt each and every month. And then you can redirect that money into Christian education. It's a good way to go. One thing we have seen, though, when it comes to education, government, even the elections, is it's a new world. It's an exciting time. It's an encouraging time because part of the reason why it is so encouraging is this is God redeeming and restoring everything about his creation. And I'm so glad that he is. I really, truly, honestly, am glad that he is uh, redeeming and restoring everything about creation. Hey, let's take a quick break. And when we continue, we're going to get into more of the kind of programming that you don't necessarily get or see anywhere else. Um, We're going to talk about election accountability we're going to talk about uh, some of the summaries from what we saw last week. I, I think it's very, very grateful or fortunate that we are able to do this to just take a look at um, you know, some of the things in post-mortem, not just saying, well, who got beat and you know who's going to be excited, whatever. But also, I want to take a look at something that happened here in the People's Republic of California with regard to the big payout last week and ask the question, is the lottery racist? Uh, there's some interesting suggestions that it might actually be involved in systemic racism i'm going to do an analysis balance and clarity uh top uh, piece on that topic coming up next as the bottom line continues over the weekend i did a little math and i want to thank you as a bottom line listener for the way that you have stepped up to help our friends at pre-born save babies lives now when we started this campaign back in the first part of october our goal was to save 400 children by christmas day and you have stepped up in a huge way but i didn't think that we would also have the opportunity to provide that kind of sponsorship and put an ultrasound machine in. An ultrasound machine lasts about 10 years. It provides 250 ultrasounds per year, which means it's going to save about 2,500 babies' lives over the course of that 10-year period. Ultrasound machine costs $15,000. So far, because of your generosity, you've helped us raise enough money to place an ultrasound machine in a pre-born clinic and have provided ultrasounds for 229 kids we're about 171 away from that stated goal and i know we can do it can you give a $280 donation right now to save 10 more babies lives 833850 baby is the number to call or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the preborn banner go to the show.com go to rogermarsh.com click on the preborn banner it takes about 30 seconds to save the life of a baby go to preborn and save babies lives today Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good to have you along for the ride today. Our first post-Super Tuesday, Tuesday edition of the program. And I guess they're still counting ballots somewhere. Of course, we know, too, that uh, when it comes to the election, it's not over till it's over. Or basically, I guess the new mantra should be, it's not over until Georgia has their runoff. Because this is the second straight time the Senate seat has come down to a runoff. I mean, it's Georgia state law election rules are. If one of the candidates uh, has more votes than the others, but does not have 50% of the vote, then uh, you have to have a runoff. And the Libertarian, uh, what's it, Chase Oliver, I think was his name, got 80,000 votes. And so neither Raphael Warnock no, nor uh, uh, Herschel Walker could get the majority they needed. And so therefore they'll have a runoff in December 6th. By the way, interestingly enough, um, guess which state is putting the most money into this election did you say california (laughs) you're right there is more money coming from california democrats into the georgia senate runoff than there from what i understand there's more money coming from california than there actually even is from georgia right now. So let's not be fooled by state elections that appear to be just about the local government. Uh, Don't be surprised, too, if a lot of Democrats from California, Georgia and other parts of the country fly into Georgia, take advantage of the lax voting rules there with regard to your residency, register to vote and then vote and then leave. I mean, and, and quite frankly, this is one part where the Republican side of the equation really has to do a better job of stop being so naive with mail-in voting being the order of the day, with the areas where there are more heavy uh, registered Democrats, Republicans, heavier numbers, not heavier Democrats. Um, Of course, early voting is going to happen. It's going to matter. The reason why people are saying, hey, that state elected official in Pennsylvania, the guy died a month ago and he was still elected into office. Well, the reason why, quite frankly, is everyone apparently in his district voted early. I mean, uh, there's a very strong possibility he was very much alive when they voted for him. So... Early voting has become the norm. Conservatives, Republicans, no party preference have to do a better job of this and making sure that because if you do vote early, um, quite frankly, we've seen the other side of the equation, finds a way to get more votes in if they vote early. Not suggesting that they're stuffing ballot boxes or people are voting twice or whatever, but it does seem rather curious that the party that specializes in voting early and voting by mail winds up with heavier turnouts than the other group does. You know, I mean, to vote early and you won't have to worry about cheating. Um, I want to offer a bit of a word of congratulations and thanks, actually, to some bottom line listeners who stepped up during our most recent um. Campaign for preborn. Preborn campaign is ongoing. And we're so grateful for people who are standing for the sanctity of life, the sanctity of human life, of course, as measured by ultrasounds. 83 for every 100 women who go to a preborn clinic and get an ultrasound, free ultrasound, by the way, 83 of them choose life for their child. It's remarkable. I mean, that that means 17. Others statistically might say, okay, I'm going to choose abortion anyway, but we like the odds that 83 times out of 100, a woman goes to a preborn clinic, has an ultrasound, and then moves on. I mean, she says, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a mother, or I'm going to place that child up for adoption. Your one-time donation of $280, $280 like Jim did from Tustin uh, thank you, Jim. That's 10 babies saved. Uh, Claudine in Cypress called in a $28 donation. Thank you so much for that gift. We also had a, a do- donation of $1,000 at the end of last week. One of our KCBC listeners calling in. Uh, 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. Or just go to kbrightradio.com and click on the banner. Also, if you go to rogermarsh.com, there's a tiny little line right in the beginning of my website there uh, that you can click for preborn. Or if you scroll down, there's a bigger display for preborn. But either place, if you go to kbrightradio.com and hit the preborn banner or rogermarsh.com and hit the banner, you can make a donation there as well. We have a goal here at the Bottom Line Show of raising awareness for, um, of course, the Freeborn campaign. And we have been uh, just thrilled to see how many people have donated so far. Nearly 50 people have donated, and we're, we've have saved so far well over 100 babies. Um, my goal was 400 when we first started, and I think we're we're on pace to just kind of blow that out of the water. So please make your best donation to. Well, actually, we are. I'm sorry. What did I say? Did I say 100? Our goal when we started was 400, and we have done 400. Uh, in addition to doing four hundred, we also have put together enough money for a uh, an ultrasound machine as well. So I mean that the, the at, please keep making your donations. Please keep making them at eight three three eight five zero baby eight three three eight five zero two 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 nine. Go to kbrightradio.com dot com and click the banner. Go to rogermarsh.com dot com and click the banner as well. You know. Um, during the election season, of course, there were a lot of uh, things that were people were voting on. Uh, well, one, many states had abortion bills on the on the ballot. They kept telling Democrats kept telling you democracy was on the ballot. We're all voting to save democracy. And that democracy wasn't on the ballot. Democracy is all throughout the ballot, but it was not up for vote. It's amazing to me how many people in the Democrat Party believed, honestly believed, that if they did not vote to support abortion rights, somehow our democracy was at risk. Uh, you know? Um. Yeah. Uh, the fact that people voted for it and against it shows that the democracy is a good, pretty good place. We are a constitutional republic, by the way, uh, not a democracy. A democracy falls into mob rule all too easily. And the fact that there are people who voted to now murder children or make it legal to murder children all the way up through labor and delivery, uh, it's pretty sick. It's pretty disgusting. And yet you should see the number of leftists who are and and liberals who are walking around going yeah that's right i defended that Mm -hmm. oh no one would ever do that no one would ever kill a baby no one would are you kidding no no they would never do that never never maybe but this is why the analysis balance and clarity part of this program and other conversations among believers i think is so important case in point here's a story from election day kind of a post super tuesday uh story Coming out of Mississippi, in Jackson, Mississippi, on the morning of the election, November the 8th, two historically black churches in Jackson, Mississippi, were deliberately set on fire. There were five other suspected arson cases in the city, and all seven of them occurred within the area of Jackson State University, which is a historically black uh, university. So the minute there's a the report of the fire, this is what it happens on both sides of the aisle. This time, unfortunately, Democrats are you know getting thrown under the bus for this one the moment there's a report of a fire at a black church in Jackson, Mississippi, what do you get? You get Democrats saying, here's a statement from Shawaski Young for Congress. My statement of the church burning in Jackson, Mississippi on election day. This morning, several churches were burned in Jackson, Mississippi on election day. These cowardly actions invoke historical acts of terrorism when people are fighting for their right to vote and live peacefully as Americans and Mississippians. We will not be deterred and we will not be intimidated. We will not let our domestic terrorists suppress our right to vote. Now, the impl Ch- agree with all of that, but the implication is that the people behind this were of the Aryan nation. Were of them. Here, here, here's where Twitter went. Other commenters: The layers of racist symbolism associated with burning churches in Mississippi on election day. When will this country wake up? This makes me incredibly sad. I'm guessing the terrorist arsonist who did this thinks they're a good Christian and a patriot. Here's another one this is what the uh, SCLC fought against the same white-hooded cowards who are a product of for- president 45's GOP the most racist corrupt treasonous administration in White House. anti-Semitism racism is their platform. this act today says it all. Here's another one and I, I, I love this about this generation. this is beyond you know, people this is beyond hideous this is beyond scandalous this is beyond embarrassing. Well, no, it actually is. The hypocrisy is off the charts, too. The burning was probably carried out by people who profess to be Christians. Here's another commenter. Domestic white supremacist terrorists will not suppress Democratic voters from voting, but still, like air, we rise. Another cat by the name of Peter Julian posted a picture of a bunch of white ding-dongs with Trump banners and Nazis' symbols, swastikas, saying, gee, I wonder who who is responsible for all of this. Well... Guess what? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the fires were reported at Greater Bethlehem Temple Church and Epiphany Lutheran Church, the baseball field at Jackson State, a local gas station, and other places, too. Uh, Epiphany Lutheran, by the way, is one of the oldest predominantly black Lutheran churches in Mississippi. That church burned for more than four hours before the fire was put out. Uh, it's an 85-year-old church, by the way. Um the suspect in the case was arrested, taken into custody, and his uh, mugshot, well, his arrest picture was shown. Delvin McLaurin was arrested on Tuesday. Police said he was arrested that evening after a tip from Citizens uh, near the, uh, the county line. Uh, he will be transferred to the Jackson Police Department for further questioning. The Jackson Police Department spokesperson said that he is being charged with felony malicious mischief adding that the FBI is questioning him and he may face additional charges. Officials begin receiving calls about the fire starting at 2.45 a.m., adding that Jackson Police spokesman Sam Brown said McLaurin was in the area of the fires during the hours they were set. And oh, by the way, Delvin McLaurin is African American. Now, we're not celebrating the fact that a black man set, apparently, allegedly, set fire to some churches and some other areas. I mean, he... Yeah, Anybody who goes pyro in the middle of the night, um, you, you need to take in for questioning. No question about it. And, and to be fair to the congressman or the congressional candidate in Mississippi who said, you know, if, if I read his statement and he said, look, you know, this, these cowardly actions, we will not be deterred, et cetera, et cetera. Never insinuated that it was white supremacists who are doing this. He did call it domestic terrorism. He never insinuated white supremacists. But notice how the Twitterverse went nuts. Oh, well, we all know who did this. These are Donald Trump supporters. Hey, look at these pictures I found online. And they create a narrative that says this is what happened. When you look at the actual facts, when you do the analysis, balance, and clarity part, To get discernment, what you see is the analysis. Let's find out as much information as we can. And oftentimes you can find one story that is hyperlinked to others. You don't have to read 15 different newspapers in the age of the digital technology. You look through, like I'm looking at one from theblaze.com, ironically for a church fire story, and that's Glenn Beck's publication, and it's got all sorts of hyperlinks in it to different articles and different reporting on it so you can dig deep on there. You get balanced then. You see how CNN reported it and Fox News reported it, how Breitbart reported it and MSNBC did. And then you get to the clarity. What's the issue? What happened here is five churches in Jackson, Mississippi were set ablaze at 245-ish in the morning on Election Day. Uh, Other areas like near Jackson State University also set on fire. And police do have a suspect in custody, and it just happens to be an African-American guy who apparently was hoping that people would think white supremacists would do this, and it would somehow, I don't know, energize black people to vote or something, whatever it was. Tragic c- crime. Horrible. If this is, in fact, the guy, apparently he met the description, but we will watch this story. We're not going to say, yeah, we got him and see you were wrong. We're going to watch this story as it unfolds and as it develops. I mean, see how that works? I mean, it, it, it's not too hard to do. I know our passions want to get in fight or flight mode with social media says you have to make a decision right now. You have to love one person and hate somebody else. And Bang, 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 bang. And actually you don't really honestly don't. So maybe we use this as an example of analysis, balance, clarity, leaning, to, leading to discernment in all that we do, especially as we are living out our faith in Christ. Uh, we've got a link for the article up, by the way, at thebottomlineshow.com. And speaking of our faith in Christ, as we continue, speaking of Mississippi and the Delta and Memphis and you know the, the Southeast, there was a young man, a Caucasian young man, who grew up on Southern gospel music, loved it, actually turned it into a bit of an art form. And you might have heard of him. His name was Elvis Aaron Presley. Well, we thought we knew the king based on his music and based on movies and documentaries about him. But one guy that I've recently come into the acquaintance of knows him a lot better than we will (laughs) or we would. His name is Billy Stanley, and Billy Stanley is one of the three young men who became stepbrothers of Elvis Presley when their mom married Elvis's dad. He has written a new book about the faith of his stepbrother. It's called The Faith of Elvis, A Story Only a Brother Can Tell. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Let's take a break from politics for a moment and hear about the faith of Elvis Presley. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues.
4: You never know what little thing you can do for someone that can make a change in their life. Personal injury attorney Stephanie Cover has a servant's heart. She will do everything in her power to fully restore you to what your life was like before your injury using her 25 years of experience to fight for the fair value of your case. Stephanie puts others first and works tirelessly for her clients. Even when she can't help through representation, she does everything she can do to connect people with the help they need through spreading the word of God and sharing her community. Stephanie Kover is grateful for what she has and tries to give back however she can. She believes that as a Christian, you don't turn your back on anyone. Save her number or call now. that's 877-214-4935 then fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash stephanie cover she knows the other side well today on the bottom
0: line we're going to look at the life of an icon through the eyes of someone who knew him oh so well billy stanley is a new york times best-selling author he's also the stepbrother of Elvis Presley, the singer's Sid Confidant. And this is a guy, if you ever had any questions when Elvis was singing gospel music, if you really believed it, well, there's a brand new book out that will answer that question for you in great detail. The book is called The Faith of Elvis, A Story Only a Brother Can Tell. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Billy Stanley, welcome to The Bottom Line today.
5: Thank you, Roger. Great to be
0: here. Let's talk, about, first of all, I mean, stepbrother of Elvis. So, I mean, let, let's talk about how, when did you guys meet? When did you become family? How did that process all work out?
5: Yeah, uh, that happened in uh, July 3rd, 1960 is when uh, Vernon's dad remarried and he married my mom. I was seven years old at the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: So that's when I, uh, how I became his stepbrother.
0: How interesting must that have been to be not only a young boy in a blended family, but then, oh, by the way, your stepbrother is the king of rock and roll. How, how did that sit with you at Billy Stanley at the age of seven?
5: I, it, well, at seven years old, I was a military brat and mm. I didn't know anything about Elvis. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know wow. anything about a hound dog or anything like that. We didn't have a TV set or a radio. So mm. I never, I didn't know who he was. Um, now during the, well, they were going, my mom and dad were going through a divorce. They, uh, they put us in a boarding school. Mm. So we were there for about three or four months, and then he picked us up. And when they picked us up, that's when the, that's when I first started hearing about Elvis. It was on the trip to Memphis, mm-hmm. and they kept talking about this neat guy that was, go, you know, going to be our big brother. But it didn't register to me because I was just happy to get out of that boarding school. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know, I was uh, who? Okay, great. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, we were asleep when we found it was in Newport News, Virginia. We drove to Memphis, and so when we got to Memphis, they woke us up and uh as we was pulling through the gates and I, I woke up i saw those big gates open you know and i saw that the house was all lit up it looked like a castle to me mm. i just wow mm-hmm. and so when we walked in the house they said elvis is downstairs waiting on y'all so we went downstairs and he was shooting pool and so we couldn't really see him because there was a crowd of people around the uh, the pool table and all we heard was a voice say eight ball in the corner pocket and he must have <laughs> made it because everybody started applauding Yay, elvis yeah yeah and then uh-huh. the crowd parted, and when they did, that's when I saw Elvis for the first time. I just I looked at him and went, okay, he's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. He walks over and says, Daddy, what have we got here? He said, these are your new little brothers, Elvis. And so he reaches down and picks all three of us up at the same time and uh, said, Daddy, I always want a little brother. Now i got three.
0: Wow. Wow. I'm talking with Billy Stanley today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Faith of Elvis, A Story Only a Brother Can Tell. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and what a what a delightful story to hear about Elvis Presley, your new stepbrother, uh, saying, "Hey, I got three little brothers. This is fantastic." What uh, blended families don't always blend it that well, and of course, it was must have been surreal knowing that you had a stepbrother who was kind of in a whole different dimension in terms of you know he wasn't just like he had. A basic job and a basic career. He was transforming culture. As you, what was it like as you were getting to know him? What 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 kind of how would you describe him as a big brother?
5: Well, uh, you know I've heard a lot of stories about blended families and you know horror stories. I I I can't relate to any of them because Mm -hmm. when Elvis tucked us in bed that night, you know after we met him, we didn't know at the time that he was not an early morning person, but he came running into our room the next morning. And it was like a fire drill come on you got to get up got to get up and so we started looking for our clothes and we had our pajamas and he said we don't have time for that so he puts my younger brother david on his shoulders and grabs me and rick by the hands and we go out in the backyard and there was three of every kind of toy you can think of
1: hmm.
5: he had a store opened up and he bought all these toys and so instead of buying one he said i'm gonna buy three so they won't be fighting over it <laughs> so that's how he welcomed us to the family wow and so I, from then on, I mean, I looked up at him when I was standing in the backyard. I thought he was Santa Claus. That was going, mm-hmm. oh, Santa Claus comes in July too. So, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that, that was just the beginning of our relationship. And I, I mean, I, when I was going to school, people would say, "Oh, you're Elvis's stepbrother," and this and that. You know, that's the only reason people like you. And I didn't know what to understand what they was talking about because I didn't know he was famous. I really mm-hmm. didn't.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
5: I mean, the first time I got an inkling of him being famous was he picked me up from school in a pink Cadillac one day. Mm-hmm. Wow. And this is first grade. I walk outside and there was everybody from school. I mean, parents and teachers and students, even the principal was standing around the car. And I was going, what's this? You know, yeah. I walk yeah. up to the car and he opens the door and lets me in. And he said, how was school building? I said, it was great. And I was, I said, what are you doing? Just looking around at everybody. He said, I'm signing autographs. I said, what is that? (laughs) I said, he said, that's where you put your name on a piece of paper. Here here again, I'm only in the first grade, so I don't know what all this stuff is. So he asked, uh, he said, would some of you kids like to have my little brother's uh, autographs? And the little girl squealed, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so he hands me a piece of paper. and I reach in my book bag. And I pulled out a red crown. That's all I had. So I put <laughs> a Billy on it, learning how to write, and it's not a uh-huh. So I put yeah. Billy on it. So this goes on for about 10 or 15 minutes. And as we're pulling, we, Elvis excuses, said, You know, okay, you, as everybody knows, you know, Billy just got out of school. I need to take him home so he can eat and do his homework. So we drive off, and I'm trying to process all oh, this in my little seven year old brain. I'm going, mm-hmm. Are you famous or something? He kind of laughs and said, "Well, some people think I am, so I try to think of somebody famous." I said, "Are you more famous than Mickey Mouse?" (laughs) He laughs. He said, "Some people think I am." He said, "I tell you what, I'll get Daddy to show you some of my movies and play some of my records for you." And so that's that was the education of Elvis and what he did for a living. Wow. But but the thing of it is now, Roger was when I was growing up, he always downplayed it whenever I said, (laughs) "Oh yeah, you're you know you're the king of rock and all this." He said, "No." Billy, he said, I'm just an entertainer. Uh, my job is not that important. What my fans do for a living is more important than what I do. Amen. So I never, you know, I never saw the superstar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I now I did in 1969. And I mean, you know, and I was on movie sets and stuff like that, but that, that was just normal for me. I mean, that's right. okay, your brother. That's what Elvis's brother does. You go right. to movie sets and yeah. recording studios. That's just everyday life. I thought everybody's family does that, right? <laughs>
0: Oh, my. Billy, what about your younger brothers? I mean, you mentioned there were three of you. Uh, right. You and Elvis you, have a great relationship that you write about uh, uh, the faith of Elvis, a story only a brother can tell, the new book by Billy Stanley that's up at thebottomlineshow.com. What was it like with your other brothers, too?
5: They, they were like a lot like me. You know, I mean, we, we, it, we didn't grasp who he was until we saw him in concert. The first time we saw him was in 1961. He performed. Uh, this was shortly after he got out of the Army. It was his first live performance. Now, he did do the Frank Sinatra show on TV, and we saw it. But Mm -hmm. again, that's TV. You you don't capture what it's like at an Elvis concert unless you're there. So he had one at the Ellis Auditorium here in Memphis in 1961. I was eight years old. I didn't understand what was going on. I I just saw a bunch of people screaming and running toward the stage. and just I, I couldn't really hear a lot of Elvis, but that's all I saw. And I went, okay, that's it, you know. So afterwards, he kind of talked to me and said, what do you think? I said, well, I couldn't really hear you, but why was everybody screaming and yelling at you? Mm. He said, well, that's what some people do if they (laughs) love you. I said, well, a lot of people really love you then. Yeah, Everybody in there was screaming and yelling, so. I love um, it. I love it. Well, we,
0: I want to take a quick break here, Billy, because sure. I want to transition into the faith part of the story. But it's just so, so delightful to sit here and have this conversation with Billy Stanley. Uh, his stepbrother was Elvis Presley, and he's the author of a brand new book called The Faith of Elvis, a story only a brother can tell. We have a link to this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've heard about what a kind of big old teddy bear and a great guy Elvis was as an older brother to Billy and his. Uh, uh, two siblings as their parents you know, blended a family together. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk about the faith component because a lot of people know about the hymns, about the spirituals, about the gospels. But was that just part of the act, or what kind of faith did Elvis Presley actually have? Billy Stanley is going to answer that question for us on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Billy Stanley is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. He is the oldest stepbrother of Elvis Presley and has written a book about Elvis' faith story. The book is called The Faith of Elvis, a story only a brother can tell. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we have a copy of the book that we're giving away today, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Boy, this is a fascinating story. I mean, if you saw that Tom Hanks movie, um, it, it was kind of strange. I mean, it was more about Colonel Tom Parker than anything else. So many people have opinions of Elvis. I mean, he really is truly an icon in American culture. But the idea that we could know this guy or know this cat and uh, and understand what his faith journey was like... You know, a lot of people will say they grew up singing in church or the church is a part of their background, but they never really had faith in Christ. And to hear Billy tell the story and to see what he wrote about in the book called uh, The Faith of Elvis, a story only a brother could tell, it's amazing to see how matter-of-factly Billy describes the very matter-of-fact faith of Elvis Presley. And, you know, when the role is called up yonder, eventually we will one day find out the whole story about everyone. <laughs> everyone that we need to know. And I think that the Elvis Presley story reminds us of how iconic we made this man because of his talent, but how much we can benefit, you know, forty five years post his passing, from telling the story and reliving the story and looking at it. And only one guy can really tell this story well and that is Billy Stanley, who is the uh stepbrother of the oldest brother of Elvis Presley. The book, The Faith of Elvis, a story only a brother could tell is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have one copy to give away. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now for our KCBC audience, of course, Rabbi Schneider is coming up next. But if you want to cheat, just go to kbrightradio.com. You can hear the second part of this interview or we'll record it for you and play it back on the bottom line extra tonight at 7 p.m. For those who remain on the network, the conclusion of my conversation with Billy Stanley coming up next as the bottom line continues in just a moment. Billy Stanley is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. If you recognize that name. It's because he's a New York Times bestselling author, but he's also the stepbrother or one of the stepbrothers of Elvis Presley and uh, became a trusted confidant of Elvis and is the author of a brand new book called uh, The Faith of Elvis, A Story Only a Brother Could Tell. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Before the break, Billy, you were talking about how uh, your, your, your mom married Elvis's dad. Is that how the, the whole yes. uh, blending came together? And yeah. you all became family in 1960. It took you—you're in first grader at that time. It took you almost a decade to figure out. Oh my gosh, Elvis is Elvis. I mean, that's, right. he's not just my uh, brother. Talk talk about that aha moment you had.
5: Okay, well, it, the first time I really noticed anything, I mean, like I said, you know, at the school. And but when the Beatles came out, there was a big contest. I think there was every DJ in America had a contest: who's more sure. popular, Elvis or the Beatles? You know. And I had people coming up, of course, they just, you know, kids love, well, I'm voting for the Beatles. Yeah. Well, me too. So, oh, you know I like the Beatles too. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, but I, I really didn't get a grasp on who he was until 1969. And that's when he did, that's when he started performing live again. Mm-hmm. And he did it in Vegas. Now, also in 1969, Woodstock was going on. Mm-hmm. Now, that's where I wanted to be. But my parents said, nope, the family vacation is, we're going to see Elvis perform live for the first time since 1961 at vegas so i said okay so i was expecting just nothing but old people there i'm right. so i'm sitting in the audience kind of looking around and i'm seeing all these celebrities and all age groups really and i'm going wow oh, this is neat and i was come out and oh my god I, 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 my jaw hit the floor i mean <laughs> like where has this guy been all my life? I haven't right. met this guy yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I, I realized right then, that is why they called him the king of rock and roll, because he had that audience and me in the palm of his hand, that whole show. Mm-hmm. And he did in every show that I've ever seen. And he, he was just, that was his element was up there on that stage in front of all the, his loving fans. You know,
0: when we see uh, the movies that have been made, the documentaries, uh, there was that new movie with Tom Hanks that was out right. just recently about Elvis. And and I Lisa and I watched that together, and we were were both big Tom Hanks fans. We thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. And I was sharing with you during the break that uh, we both kind of kind of came away from that scratching our heads, like what was all that about? Um, has there been? I mean, this story is is helpful, and I'm so glad you wrote the Faith of Elvis, which we've got the link for at thebottomlineshow.com. Has anyone really ever told the whole story, of Elvis? I mean, it seems like this book was something you really wanted to write to let people know, hey, you know what? I mean this is a, he was a, a good man, he was a godly man, and you right. and, and you lived that with him. Talk about why this, the faith part was so important for you to
5: tell. Well, it, because none of that has ever been talked about in the past. I mean, everybody knows about, you know, the what I call the GP version of Elvis, you know, which is, you know, Everybody knows, you know, he got married and, you know, this, and he did this at this concert. He did this. Everybody knows the general stuff. They don't know the personal stuff. Nothing has ever been done to reveal the personal inside story of Elvis Presley. And so that's, I mean, I didn't come about this. You know, it took me a while. Everybody says, well, why did it take this long to do this book, Billy? That's because in uh, 2018, May 19th, to be exact, I suffered a heart attack stroke and seizure oh my goodness yeah i was dead clinically dead for 10 minutes wow during that time i had what most people call a near-death experience
1: mm-hmm.
5: in that near-death experience i saw elvis in heaven mm-hmm. Now, and his message was this and it was very simple was tell my family my friends and fans i love them i'll see them when they get here wow and when i came to You know, I I prayed about what am I supposed to do with this message, you know, Mm -hmm. because I didn't say anything to my wife or my family or anything about this for about two months. And after two months, you know, it uh, it, it was revealed. You need to share this. Mm -hmm. So, And that's why I share it. And when I was, that's when I came up with the idea for the book, because, you know, nobody really has gone into depth about his faith. And, you know, people go, well, yeah, he was this, he was that. But he was also a Bible carrying Christian too. Mm. And when I say Bible carrying, he didn't carry it, but he had somebody with him carry it when he was on tour or wherever he went. That Bible went everywhere he did. Mm. And whenever he was in trouble or when he had when he had troubling thoughts or anything like that, or he may have been depressed or whatever, he, that's where he would get his go. He would go to the Bible to get his strength. Just sit there and bury himself in it.
0: You know, it's interesting talking with Billy Stanley today here on the Bottom Line, uh, Elvis Presley's stepbrother, uh, one of his stepbrothers, actually, and uh, the oldest of eight. the book is called The Faith of Elvis, A Story Only a Brother Can Tell. We have a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. Billy, your, your story, your, your NDE, as they call it, the industry is, is remarkable. Right. And especially with, you know, knowing who you saw, you know, on, on the other right. side. And, you know, it, it really does for me, I got kind of a chill as you were sharing that story, because I think for so long. Elvis's legacy has always been hypersexualized. You know, what I mean to say he danced and he writhed and he wiggled and the girls all went crazy and stuff like that. When in this latest Elvis movie, I really got the sense that it was more just kind of him going with the music as opposed to trying to get a reaction out of people. And it sounds like from what you're telling me that his faith was basically guiding him and if people had the reaction they did, maybe they were not used to seeing it, but it was really more of a what God was doing through the music through him. Is that an accurate statement?
5: Yeah. Yeah. What what he got that from was uh, he often talked about, you know, music, if it's done right, it's supposed to touch your soul. Yeah. And if yeah. it does, you're not going to stand still and just hold on to the microphone and sing. Right. No, if it once it touches you, you release that energy that you feel from it. Mm-hmm. And that's all he was doing. It wasn't anything bad. I mean, I mean, you see gospel singers move all the time on stage, you know, when they're Mm -hmm. singing, you know, that's nothing new. So, I mean, he, he, he took he looked at it from that aspect. Okay. How can it be wrong if I see gospel singers do this? You know I mean? Of course that was in the fifties where, you know, I remember him telling me, he said, Billy, when I first came out, they thought I was the antichrist. I said, what?
1: Mm -hmm.
5: He said, yeah, "Yeah, they, they wanted to put me away. That's why they drafted me. I said, what do you mean? He said, Billy, they thought the, the worst career suicide is somebody disappearing for two years mm-hmm. so the government said we'll just put him away for a couple of years and everybody will forget about it and that's what they thought i mean they really did El- elvis was a little bit afraid himself mm-hmm. coming out of the army after two years and then get back out there in front of those people again you know how are they going to uh, uh you know react to him uh, he, he came back even stronger interesting well he got in that movie years but now to talk about the movie that you you're talking about the this latest one that they didn't touch on anything that was important to me i mean i saw the movie i walked into it with an open mind Mm -hmm. i said okay billy just go into this you know forget that you grew up with this man for 17 years (laughs) right right yeah (laughs) and go in here with an open mind and see what see what it's all about and with that kind of budget they could have done so much better roger i mean they didn't show him happy they you know they showed it looked like he was always depressed and yeah. sad. You know, yeah, it, it, that's not the Elvis I knew. The guy I knew was a happy, fun loving guy. They didn't show any of his sense of humor where he's joking mm. around with everybody, even the fans. Uh, they didn't show any of his generosity, him giving stuff to people that he didn't even know. I mean, mm. giving cars and money to people he never met before and just go, Here, you know, take it. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, they could have done so much better, you know. Yeah. And, You know, I could nitpick the movie, but I'm not going to because as long as the fans like it, that's all that matters. Yeah. No, it's a nice little thing.
0: Well, that's a fair, very fair assessment from someone who knows uh, Billy Stanley, my guest today here on the bottom line, Elvis's oldest stepbrother. And the book is called The Faith of Elvis, a story only a brother can tell. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. That fateful day in August of 1977, what was it like for you and the rest of the family to get the news? Uh, that uh, that your your big brother had passed away
5: but to be honest with you roger it it almost killed me because Mm -hmm. one thing i'd never in the 17 years i was with that was the two words i could not put together is elvis and death Mm -hmm. i never thought of it. it never crossed my mind it just and when i heard it it i went into it i went into a little bit of shock because i remember I was going to help my brothers uh, pack for the tour on August 16th. So I was working at the airport as an assistant jet mechanic. So they let me off. They always let me off uh, work early. So I got off a little early so I could go help them pack. And I walked in the store and I uh, said hello to the guy at the counter. I knew him. And when I came back, he had radio going in the background. And all of a sudden, that's when it says uh, Elvis Presley, uh dead at 42 dies at his house at graceland in memphis tennessee and i just immediately my whole world stopped right there okay. and the next thing i remember is the guy was shaking me and I was, what 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 because i guess i just kind of blacked out for a minute or two and he said "Billy, you need to you need to get go you know get to graceland so i walked outside and i i, I noticed a phone booth to the left so i said i'm gonna call first so i walk over i put a quarter in and a, a lady answers and she was crying i couldn't tell who it was i said this all i said was this is billy is it true what i heard and they said yes you need to get up here as fast as you can Hmm. so i just dropped the phone and i walked to the car and just as i was putting my hand on the car car door handle i fell to my knees and just looked up and said why god why you know i broke down right there lost it i got in the car and regained my composure and then uh, drove to graceland when i got there so crowded I was thankful that there was some police that knew who I were, who I was and they kind of parted the crowd and let me drive up through the crowd and up, up to the house and I parked in the back like always and I saw my two brothers Rick and David standing in the middle of the backyard and I just walked up to them and just what happened guys you know and they, they, he's gone Billy and off in the distance I see Lisa Marie riding around on a golf cart mm. I'm going oh God. I said does she know and they said uh, not yet, but they're waiting on Priscilla to talk to her, and then she comes pulling up, can we go for a ride, Uncle Billy? Mm. <laughs> not yet, sweetie, so wow, that's how my day went.
0: Yeah, what, a, what, a, what a tough challenge, and of course, then the years after with the legacy of Graceland, the the image of Elvis, and and getting us to, here we are, to, what, 35 years later, 45, I mean, it's, it's amazing yeah, to see. How how that the uh, the the Elvis legacy lives on. I'm talking with Billy Stanley today here on the Bottom Line. His book is called The Faith of Elvis: A Story Only a Brother Could Tell, as written by the oldest stepbrother of Elvis Presley. Uh, where are we today, Billy Stanley, in terms of uh, the, your faith? You know how how strong it is, and and what kind of relate? Do you have a relationship with Priscilla and Lisa? No, at all?
5: I, I, I the last time I talked to either one of them was at Vernon's funeral, mm-hmm. and that was in 1979. Okay. You know, I yeah would I, would I like to be able to talk to him? Sure, but you know, I mean, the uh, only thing I can guess, and you know, this is just pure speculation on my part, is Scientologists have a thing called disconnect. Yeah. If you don't believe like that, then they have to disconnect from you. So they know I'm a Christian, so that sure. doesn't mix well with the Scientologists. So Did she
0: go that route after he his death, or was she kind of dabbling in it beforehand?
5: I believe it was after. I mean, uh, I I didn't really. I, and it, be, it may sound funny, but Elvis was my loyalty was with Elvis, and that mm-hmm. was it. Yeah. In case if he says, "Okay, that's my ex-wife," okay, that's that's his ex-wife. That's it. My loyalty is always with Elvis. Nobody else, yeah. <laughs> yeah. except yeah. my my yeah. younger brothers, of course. Sure, but, sure. You yeah. know, but that was it. So, I mean, I I didn't really follow her, or keep up with her, or anything like that after after they divorced.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like you said to, from the spiritual standpoint. The, the last thing they wanted to do was to talk to a strong Christian man who, who knew the truth about everything in you know, their world as far as Elvis was concerned. And if right. they're trying to tell their own story, then I mean, I guess we can understand that. Billy Stanley, we've got a couple minutes left in our conversation. Uh, what is your hope for this? I mean, you mentioned that there was a divine interaction, literally, right. that led you to writing this book. What is your hope when people pick up a copy of the book, The Faith of Elvis, and begin to read it?
5: I hope that they get a better understanding of the man that I grew up with and, and get to know him as I did. Because he, he really wasn't that complicated. I mean, he was very a really very simple man. And and the biggest thing is I mean that that's the fun it's kind of funny to me in a way that, you know, when he he talked about this, you know, that when he passed away, he didn't think anybody'd ever remember him. Mm. Interesting. And, and you know, here it is, forty-five years later, and now they're yeah. still making movies, and his records are still doing well. Mm-hmm. I mean, Graceland—I forget—I think six hundred thousand people go through Graceland every year. Incredible! It's just—it's unbelievable. And you know, I'm seeing all these young fans do these book reviews on TikTok, and I, I'm amazed that even the young fans are still, lo- I mean, they're loving this book, you know, I mean, they, they're saying, thank you, you know, we, we have a better understanding of the man. And I mean, that's what I wanted to, you know, get across to everybody is, you know, that, and they also see in there that how it, they, the fans always say, oh, we love Delvis, we love Elvis." Well, he loved you just as much as you loved him. Oh, so that's, that's what true. I try to pass on.
0: Well, and that, it's a great message to hear, especially from somebody who has the credibility that you do, Billy Stanley, to, to speak that's into her. that part of it billy thank you for your time today thanks for the book i mean this is sharing that kind of story i'm sure some people might be looking at you with one eyebrow raised a little bit saying are you sure that's what you experienced but um, i'm grateful that you are faithful to your calling as a christian to uh to not only keep walking the walk but also to tell the story of the faith of elvis presley the book is called the faith of elvis a story only a brother can tell we have a link for the book up at the bottom show.com The author, his oldest stepbrother, Billy Stanley, who's been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Billy, great to get to know you. Thanks for being with us today here on The
5: Bottom Line. Thanks for having me on the show, Roger. This was a lot of fun.
0: What a great conversation. What a very genuinely nice man. Billy Stanley has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book, The Faith of Elvis, A Story Only a Brother Could Tell, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have one copy of this book to give away. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I don't have copies of that Elvis movie, and quite frankly, if we did, we wouldn't give them away. I mean, the movie that you was recently on television uh, doesn't really have, uh, doesn't really do justice to the story. And you heard Billy say, yeah, it's kind of interesting, it's kind of different, it's kind of weird. Um, but if you really want to know more about the Elvis story, than that movie could ever tell you, I recommend the book The Faith of Elvis by Billy Stanley, a story only a brother could tell. We've got one copy to give away, giving it away right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive 6% CD alternative. This unique real estate-backed investment has continued to perform exceptionally well in good
1: times and in bad. I just reviewed a client file, and it really felt bad because in reviewing the file, I realized that if they had followed the advice they had received, if they had put the money to see the CD alternative, as I had recommended, they would have earned enough to build a church in Africa. Instead, the money is still in the bank, earning nothing but dust. I realized how important it is to know it's God's money, and we're just a good steward of it. One simple idea on the C D alternative would build a church in Africa,
0: honoring God and their clients by stewarding their money. Well, call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the bottom line. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-227-5278. Still giving away that copy, one copy of Billy Stanley's book. Um, the Faith of Elvis: A Story Only a Brother Could Tell. Billy Stanley, being Elvis's oldest stepbrother, it's a great read. And if you missed any part of the interview, go back to thebottomlineshow.com and you can uh, hear it uh, in its entirety. I, you know, I encourage people. And by the way, if you're calling and if you're if you're searching for something or if you know somebody who is, I want to offer this to you. Um, we have a lot of resources that we have in our library. We've got we, gotta, we could, you know people send us stuff all the time. And we're more than happy. I mean, it does, it does us no good to collect dust on the shelves here. And so uh, you know, it only costs us a little bit in postage. But if there's someone you know who's really struggling right now, um, maybe it's you, and there's a resource that we have that we can help you with, talk to Teresa or Crystal when you call in because we only have one copy of Billy Stanley's book to give away. But I would love to be able to place some of the other resources that we have into your hands as well. So um, if there's anything we could do to help out in that regard, <laughs> So at least just don't hesitate to ask. I mean, we have not because we ask not, right? 800-227-5278. It was interesting It's doing the postmortems on the elections. Here's kind of a post Super Tuesday edition of the bottom line. And I was reading with great interest why the pundits all think the elections went the way they did. You know, I mean, obviously we were told in the media red wave red wave red wave and it made it made sense. Joe Biden's policies are Horribly unpopular. Um, Roe versus Wade had been overturned. It looked like people like Ron DeSantis said, you know, Kerry Lake had a full head of steam. And it just looked like on paper that the Republicans would do well. But no one bothered. And this happens so often in election cycles. People will do opinion polls and they'll say of likely voters. First r- rule of thumb, the only election polls that matter are registered voters, not likely voters. A likely voter can be, trust me, I've talked to a lot of them, especially in the millennial and Generation Z category, who say, oh yeah, you know, Joe Biden this, or I hate Donald Trump, or whatever it is. And then when it comes down to it, you find out they aren't even registered to vote, let alone are going to vote, number one. Number two, take a look at how shallow and superficial our electorate has become. I'm, I'm just calling it the way it is. I know a lot of people who will gladly go through uh, Craig Huey's election forum, Rogers recommendations, whatever it is to make themselves educated on the issues. It takes time. And the vast majority of younger adults, especially don't want to spend time. They want a a quick app. They want an easy, uh, swipe and go type of, you know, uh, trash and dash type of mentality. That's the way they consume media. Democrats understand this with their messaging, Republicans don't. So Democrats looked at younger voters and said, okay, look, the only way we're going to get any traction here is if, first of all, we tell everyone that democracy is at risk and democracy is at risk because Republicans want to take away your rights because of the Supreme Court taking away Roe Ro versus Wade. And it didn't become about abortion, though it kind of was about abortion. It became about you losing constitutional rights. And they literally painted this sky is falling scenario with younger voters, motivated them to get out and vote. And they did. I mean, that's a gross oversimplification. Yes, there are some sketchy election laws, though in many states, look at what happened in Florida. I mean, people have been using this uh, this comparison, and I think it's wise. Florida didn't have too many problems with their 2020 election, and when they did have some areas that needed to be tightened up, the legislature got together, they tightened up the rules, they limited... Uh, issues revolving, involving voter ID and where you can mail in your ballots and drop off boxes, et cetera, et cetera, and apparently had very few problems and wound up electing a conservative governor. Arizona, on the other hand, had their same, same fair share of problems, and yet someone kept putting the stick in the spoke, you know, keeping the wheels from turning around, and it took them forever to get things counted. So ask the question, what was more, more important and most important? Generation Z, easily manipulated, apparently, number one. Easily motivated, number two. Uh, Red wave people, a lot of Christians stayed home. We got this, we got this, we got this. And maybe the whole issue, abortion wasn't the big driving issue in terms of getting people out to vote. But when the Democrats repositioned it as they're taking away your fundamental rights, it worked. I mean, simply put, it worked. But it's interesting because the same young people who were kind of hoodwinked in the election are also now being patted on the back because God is doing something really remarkable. As a matter of fact, Dr. Josh Packard, who's the executive director of a group called Springtide Research, told CBN that his extensive research between uh, studies of the uh, students of the 13 to 25 year old age group say that they have found one key to helping Generation Z flourish more in all areas, including mental health. And it's something that the mainstream media is missing and perhaps might be something that we on the conservative side of the equation might want to start promoting more. Any idea what that might be? You might say, well, it must be organized religion or going to church. Well, that's a part of it. But it's amazing how one aspect of our faith is the key to turning the tide, not just for elections, but for the overall mental health of Generation Z. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Over the weekend, I did a little math, and I want to thank you as a bottom line listener for the way that you have stepped up to help our friends at Preborn save babies' lives. Now, when we started this campaign back in the first part of October, our goal was to save 400 children by Christmas Day, and you have stepped up in a huge way, but I didn't think that we would also have the opportunity to provide that kind of sponsorship and put an ultrasound machine in an ultrasound machine lasts about 10 years it provides 250 ultrasounds per year which means it's going to save about 2500 babies lives over the course of that 10-year period ultrasound machine costs fifteen thousand dollars so far because of your generosity you've helped us raise enough money to place an ultrasound machine in a pre-born clinic and have provided ultrasounds for 229 kids we're about 171 away from that stated goal and i know we can do it can you give a 280 dollars donation right now to save 10 more babies lives 850 Baby is the number to call, or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the Preborn banner. Go to thebottomlineshow.com. Go to rogermarsh.com. Click on the Preborn banner. It takes about thirty seconds to save the life of a baby. Go to Preborn and save babies' lives today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Kind of Super Tuesday postmortems, trying to figure out why it was that Gen Z was so easily manipulated. <laughs> On the democrat side of the equation uh, into being told hey your fundamental rights are at risk so uh, you better go out and vote vote democrat save your fundamental rights save democracy um, a new study by springtide research dr josh packard the executive director of that organization he gave an interview to billy halliwell of uh, faithwire cbn's uh, great online resource talking about the epidemic of the mental health crisis among young people and what's interesting is As more and more people in the none of the above or done with religion category are moving away from religion, the young people who are flourishing, and we're talking generation Z, uh, ages 13 to 25, the ones who are flourishing in all areas of life, including their mental health, have made prayer a daily part of their routine. Isn't that amazing? We hear the stories and we see the statistics, and I have no reason to doubt them that the number of young people in Generation Z and the millennial generation are actually starting to spin like crazy because of the uncertainty. First there was COVID, and then you come back with COVID, and, and they are the fighter-flighters because they're digital natives. They grew up in a world where there's always been the internet, there's always been social media, and they don't always know how to cope with real people, but they could cope through, well, I'm going to use this product because it got 55-star ratings, even though I don't know a single person who's ever used it before. But isn't it fascinating to see that something as, I don't mean this in a derogatory sense, but something as basic as prayer, even for young people who have disassociated with religion, they don't have a church home, they don't have a faith component to their life anymore, or they would tell you they don't. But those who are praying, and not just having a quiet time or a meditation time, but those who are actually lifting prayers to Almighty God are finding that their mental health issues are going away that their outlook on life is far more positive. Now, there are a good number of those Generation Zers who all voted to they thought save the world last Tuesday and they're gonna be in for a big surprise when their taxes go up and they have a harder time affording a home and you know their expectation levels change. But hear me out on this one, especially as we get ready for the holidays when you've gonna you're gonna have those gatherings and you might have children or grandchildren coming into your home that are in that position. Maybe they've wandered away from their faith. And you wanted to go chasing after them with a Bible and you kind of take a step back and say, no, I trust that God will, they've been trained up in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not soon depart from it. That key, you praying for them could lead to them praying to restore their faith. That is the good news of the gospel. And that's the bottom line.